The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Jesus said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it fifty. Then he asked another, And how much do you owe? He replied, A hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and make it eighty. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you who have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. We have a difficult text from the Gospel. Perhaps to say the least, it's difficult. But we see Jesus seeming to suggest that we ought to do things that are unethical. So we have a lot of digging to do this morning. I've, I've tried to divide this into two sections. The first part of this sermon will deal with what I think is really unrelated to the parable. Uh, someone said it's a little bit like the writer of Luke had all his note cards together with all the little sayings of Jesus and the stories he wanted to put in. And he came near the end of his gospel and realized, oh, I've got to get all these things in. Where am I going to put them? So he stuffed some of them in right after this parable. And there is a connection, but it's a little bit hard to get at. So I'm going to just treat it as a separate part, and we'll deal with that first. And then we'll address the parable, which is so difficult. In fact, uh, Robert Capon, some of you I know have read some of his work. He's an Episcopal priest, a great theologian in our church, uh, says that this is the hardest parable. And even uh, St. Augustine said that he found it difficult to believe that Jesus ever said these words. So let's begin, and first with that part that has to deal with what comes after the parable. It's really, uh, for me, a wonderful opportunity because it's as though the writer of Luke sensed that 
perhaps there would be Episcopal priests using their lectionary needing to find a text to, to speak to the possibility of a stewardship campaign in the fall. <laughs> so I thank him for that one note card that he slipped in here. In this section, Jesus says to his, his disciples, which means that he's talking to those who are most committed, who want to follow him most closely. He says, whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and material things. It seems to me that in this part of that gospel reading, Jesus is addressing the importance of commitment and the importance of discipleship. What it means to truly follow him in terms of all of the material things that apparently were also uh, from time to time a problem for those who were in Luke's time trying to follow Jesus and even perhaps for his disciples. We have a lot of trouble with material things. They tend to get in the way of what we want to do sometimes because it seems that especially in our culture, there is such a need to acquire and to uh, build up storehouses of things and of money that we can become preoccupied with that practice alone. And I think what we find as we read scripture is that that is destructive to us as human beings. It, it destroys the soul. It turns inward and it doesn't bring life. What I believe that we're called to is to life and part of life is giving and is, is opening our hands and letting go of some of those things that we hold so tightly to. So I think that's part of the message that we have in Luke this morning. And I would ask that you uh, think about as we're coming up on our annual uh, pledge campaign, what it means to you to be a good steward. And it occurs in many areas of our life. Uh, and I, as I've always said, I think at every every year at this time, uh, your giving is not to be measured only in what you give to the church. But there are people here who give very generously out of this congregation, who give to the community around us, who give of their time in order to enrich our lives with the wonderful things that are available in, in our many communities that surround this church. I know that many of you are giving a tremendous amount. And those of you who do that know what a blessing it is, how many times it comes back to you in ways that truly do bring life. I think that's part of what Jesus is talking about in this section. We cannot, we cannot serve both gods. We can only serve one God. And, and he says that it can't be the material things. It must be the true and living God. And part of what we are able to do every year when we have our pledge campaign is to be able to think about what our relationship is with the things that we have in our lives. And also to think about what it means to give, and especially the importance of giving to our own church. Now, every year, again, when this comes out, the materials will be coming out to you early in October. When you look at that, often it seems as though it's just a request to fund the annual operating budget. And that's not a trivial thing. That's very important because it makes it possible for us to have a church and to have all the programs that go on here and that reach beyond us. But far more important than that, I believe, is what it means to you as you decide what you are going to give. Because I think what we hear Jesus saying 
in this passage is that our stewardship has eternal significance. It's not just significance in this year of our pledge campaign, but it has something to do with who we are as Christians and how we understand our connection to the community, the faith community in which we worship. And so my prayer for you and for myself and our family is that we will prayerfully consider those pledged materials when they come and we'll think about them in terms of what it means to the parish, but also about what it means about my commitment to Jesus Christ, to the church and what my relationship is to God and how that's reflected in what I give. So that's the commercial moment that (laughs) was offered today by Luke. And now I want to leave that and go to the parable itself. The parable is very difficult, uh, but it starts out with something that the story itself is something that would have been very clearly understood, I think, by those who were listening to Jesus. Now, even though Jesus was speaking to his disciples, there were others who were standing around listening. So there almost always were eavesdroppers whenever he was talking with his disciples. And that was the case on that day, apparently, because later, not in what was read, but just after it, you'll find that the religious leaders were offended by what he said. So Jesus is conscious of the disciples and also those standing around listening. And he tells a story about a landowner, apparently a very, very wealthy landowner, large expanse of land with a steward who was to take care of it. This was a a common occurrence for those who owned large amounts of land to have someone caring for that land and then to have a relationship with the people who worked the land, perhaps a share crop relationship. And that's what it sounds like it was in this particular case. And one can imagine that there were many stories about crooked stewards that went around the countryside because the stewards were in an unusual spot. They were between they were the mediator between the landowner and the people who work the land. So often their pay, uh, we believe, was uh, partly what they could extract from the uh, people that worked the land as a part of what they were paying the landowner. So there was a, there was always the possibility for people to become upset and to think that perhaps there was something funny going on. And the one who was responsible was the steward. Well, that's apparently the case here. Someone comes to the landowner and complains that the steward has not been doing the right thing. And the landowner says that he wants an accounting and then he's going to fire the steward. The steward is 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 shocked. What am I going to do? I can't work. I've been I've had this good life. I've been able to live well. I can't possibly go out and do manual labor and I'm too proud to beg. But there's another possibility. He is shrewd. He decides that he will cut the debt of those who owe money or owe rather uh, these this grain and oil to the landowner. And in doing so, will endear himself to them so that when he's out of work, they will remember and they will take care of him. So he calls all of them to come in and he sits down with them and cuts the debt in some cases by as much as half. Well, one can imagine that when people heard that story, they thought that is a very strange thing to do. They might have envied the wisdom or the shrewdness of that steward, but they must have thought that's really more crookedness 
And yet we hear Jesus saying, you need to be like that. The story of the steward reminds me of a story about Henry Ford. I know some of you uh, probably know that he was uh, notorious for being tight, perhaps even cheap, but only with his with himself. And he said that the reason he did that was so that he could give more. He could give more of his resources to others. One of his secretaries, Dr. John Bertrand, uh, tells a story about the philanthropy of Henry Ford. Apparently, Ford was visiting his family's ancestral home in Ireland. And when he got there, the trustees of one of the hospitals heard that he was there and wanted to seek him out to see if they could get a donation from him. So after meeting with him and talking about what the possibilities were for the hospital, he was convinced that he would give them five thousand dollars. Now, five thousand dollars in 1930 was an awful lot of money. But the next morning, he sat down to his tea and uh, biscuits and looked at the morning paper. And the banner headline was American Millionaire Gives 50000 to Local Hospital. <laughs> well, Ford wasted no time getting a hold of the trustees and asking what on earth went wrong. And they said, dreadful error, dreadful error. <laughs> but we can take care of it. We'll get with the editor and he'll print a retraction tomorrow. Something to the effect that Henry Ford, American millionaire, actually gave $5,000 to the hospital. Well, he didn't like the sound of that, so he gave them $45,000 more, but with one stipulation. When they built the hospital and put the marble arch over the entrance, he wanted a plaque that read, I walked among, among you and you took me in. <laughs> Now, he was a shrewd steward. <laughs> As we try to unravel this very difficult parable, I think it helps if we go back to the beginning and realize that it starts when somebody goes to the landowner and says that the steward is squandering the property. And the words that are used are squandering his property. Now, those are the same words that are used in the immediately preceding parable about the prodigal son. In that parable, uh, the words are given to the elder son who says to the father that the younger son is squandering the father's property with prostitutes. I think that Luke gives us that word as a clue that we should go back and look in order to understand this. Look at what comes before it. And what we find is that there are three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin and the prodigal son. All three that immediately precede this parable of the shrewd steward. And those three all addressed the complaints of the religious authorities that Jesus was eating with sinners. He had company of sinners. He was as it was as though he were squandering the goodness of God on the losers, on the people that were of no account in the culture that day. And so Jesus seems to offer those three parables as a sign that being lost was something that mattered to God. And looking for the one that was lost was a task that God would engage in. And then I think what we have with this parable of the shrewd steward is Jesus casting himself as a steward. 
And it begins to make sense if we think about the possibility that the ones who went to the landowner, to God, were those who were in uh, positions of power within the religious institution of his day. They were the ones that were complaining about his squandering. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus just gives more and more and cancels more and more debt. He is a sign of the endless grace of God, of God's grace always being there, especially for those who are the most in debt, the ones who are in greatest need. Sometimes I think that religious institutions are only seen by those who don't come in and really examine them are only seen as enclaves for the good or for the good enough. The ones who could get in and the ones who come in and protect themselves from the evil of all this world around us, separating ourselves from the rest of of humanity. That's just not what the church is supposed to be. We in the church have a great gift. And the gift is that it's life. And it's life for those who are out there who are in most need just as we were in need and continue to be in need of that same kind of grace. I think we have in this parable a wonderful picture of Jesus, the one who is canceling debt as fast as he can cancel it and putting before those who are listening, those who are standing on the edge and listening to what he was saying, putting before them this cartoon of himself as the one who is upsetting everyone around him. The mediator, the one that stands between the wealthy landowner and the people with the debt. If you think about Jesus' ministry, you will see over and over again that he finds good in those that no one else seems to find any good in. Just as he finds good in you and finds good in me even. Jesus can find good in those that are the lost, that are the least the ones that no one cares about. And perhaps that one of the main reasons that Jesus eventually is killed is because he was just too ready to forgive debt. Remember, it was Jesus who charged that the religious authorities were the ones that were heaping upon the people a burden that was too heavy for them to carry. The debts were just too huge. And if you look back at that parable, you see the the enormity of the debts that were being canceled. So for me, this parable is, in a sense, a, a different vision of the atonement, which is the religious word for what may have happened at the cross. It's another way of looking at that event. And in a sense, it's as though from the cross, Jesus looks at us and Jesus says, how much is your debt with God? And then he says, write none. Amen.